supposed to have come, you can't find them, they're way far away from dad. And he shows up, and it's almost like you, you can feel the tension in the narrative where the brother's looking around going, We've hated him all along. Now the, the fruit of our anger can come to bear. No one will see. We can fake dad out. Now we can kill him. Because that's how anger works. We don't kill because we don't have the opportunity. It hasn't festered long enough. We've got lots of laws that kind of keep us constrained. But the nature of anger is murder. And Joseph's brother said, what? They would have killed him. That was the plan. He was gracious, had, had a better plan. And he just got sold into slavery. That's much better. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Now please hear me. I am not saying that people don't make it easy for you to sin. They, they level the mountains, chop the path, cut down the trees and say, sin! I mean, they make it easy. But you are never required to step onto the path ever, not a single time. And every time you step onto the path of any sin, in particular, and, and anger is our, the one we're talking about this morning, you are entirely responsible before a holy God, as we will see. You see, the Pharisees, even if they thought they were responsible, essentially went as far as man... All right, you got me. I committed murder in the sight of man, but somehow I'm still righteous in the sight of God. Jesus is going to take it way past that. And what you will notice is that the gradation here, as he talks about essentially three different kinds of sin, it begins with anger and probably most likely the other two, where you call someone an empty head and then call them a fool, are simply the external voiced verbal expressions of that anger. He's going to change. He's going to talk about three different ways to sin, but the real issue here is the three different penalties. It's not that one sin is really bad, anger is bad, but if you call someone an empty head, that's really bad. And then if you call them a fool, well, that, I mean, that, that, you're done. No, the issue is the penalties. Pay attention to the penalties, and then you will see what the Pharisees missed. So let's work into those. By the way, this scripture continually talks about, as Jesus moves this idea of anger being internal, scripture lays us out in a variety of places. Let's look at that first in, in James chapter 4, the classic texts on why anger is expressed or where anger comes from. Go ahead and turn there. James 4. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. James says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Why are you arguing with each other? And, and remember, that quarrels and conflicts come from what? Anger. We hate each other. We're angry at each other. But why are we angry? Because of our pleasures. They wage war in our members. We lust. We want certain things and we don't get it. So we commit what? Murder. I don't think it's probably the case that the people in the churches that James were writing to were actually killing each other. That's possible. It happens. But I think you have the same idea that Jesus is saying. You're not getting what you want, even from, even from those in the church, even from those who are your brothers in Christ. You're not getting what you want, so you're fighting and quarreling. You are, in essence, killing them. You're committing murder. 
And remember, he's talking to the church. This is what we do. This isn't out there. Please hear me carefully. This is not an out there sin. It's right here. And, and the more forceful you hear me say it, the more you will understand the wrestles in my own heart with this sin. You know, I sometimes say it's, you know, before certain sermons, man, it, it's a rough week. Well, this was a rough week because as I was talking and, and trying to prepare for anger, I, I felt like anger was coming out of me all over the place. Wrestling this weekend, over this weekend of great thanksgiving with anger towards my children and my wife, that is sinful. So it isn't just you. It's not just out there, not only not out there unbelievers, it's, it's us, but it's not only you, it's me. I am not alone, I don't think, in this wrestle, right? but you are not alone in it either. Each of us wrestle. Well, he says, we don't get what we want, and so we commit murder. We're envious and cannot obtain, so we fight and we quarrel. We want things. We don't get it. Then he says, you don't have because you don't ask. Hear me carefully. It goes on to say, if you're, if you're there, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. If, if you just could get what you want, or if you could know what you actually needed and get that, you'd be fine. You wouldn't have this problem. That's the implication here. But they can't because they don't want the right things. And when they do want the right things and ask for them, they ask with wrong motives, so they never get them. Because God always satisfies. Never one time in your entire life did God do less than, than what was necessary to satisfy you perfectly. Did you hear me? Never once in your entire life did God ever do anything that wasn't intended to and could have satisfied you entirely. When my wife dies, yes, even death. There could be, can be satisfaction that when my children are harmed or raped or murdered, even that, are you telling me that even that could be for my satisfaction? I am, because that is the God you serve. There's no need ever to be angry at an unmet want because God always meets your needs. It is only because we view it improperly. It is only because we don't see properly the things that God is doing, nor do we trust his goodness, and therefore we fight with one another. We fight with the world that isn't giving us what we want. God always provides for us what we need. He always, and, and if we had our desires properly trained to the things that he wants, we would see that he always gives us what we truly desire. That is what we truly should desire, his desires. Are you beginning to see it? That's why we get angry, because we don't have the desires of God, and we don't see that, we don't believe that God is actually satisfying us fully. We are not fully satisfied in God. And that is why we get angry. And that is why there will be no anger in heaven. Our sinful flesh burned away, yes. So we will never have a sinful desire and also an understanding that God is meeting and providing for our needs perfectly. We will see that that is the case. It isn't that he's doing less now, but we cannot see it. We wrestle to see it. So that is the source of quarrels and conflicts. That's the source of our anger. And, and the Bible makes a direct equation here. Did it in James 1, also in 1 John 3, 15. Everyone who hates his brother, who's angry at his brother, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That is, one who is characterized by this sin, Anger characterizes your life. And for some of you, that's true, most likely. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but a group this size. And when I speak of anger, please understand that I'll be speaking of what I know to be true in general of men. And that is that probably there are those here whose lives are still characterized by, by anger over their unmet desires. And that's the, the clearest, one of the clearest indications of unbelief, that your heart has not been changed. You need to carefully track that down. It might not be yelling, screaming, throwing fit anger. It might simply be the constant, uh, what we would call it a low level, but still sinful anger at the fact that God has not satisfied us the way that we want. 
It spirals down, as we will see next week, into apathy, into a, a whole series of other sins, but it begins with the fact that we are angry at God that he has not given us what we desire. And a heart that has not changed from that is a heart that has not been changed by Christ. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. A couple of illustrations here I think will be helpful. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, we have Cain and Abel. And you know the story, it says, but for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard. That is, Cain came to God and he gave him an offering, gave him an offering of the, of the fruit of the ground that, he, had, that he, had, he was a farmer. So he brought to God this offering and God was not pleased. Now, it's our best understanding, I believe, that Cain brought the wrong offering. God had already at the time instituted the blood sacrifice. And yet Cain comes saying, look, Lord, I'm giving you something. I'm giving something up. I'm providing this offering to you. And God was not pleased. So what was the result? It says, so Cain became what? Very angry, and his countenance fell. You see, God, I'm going to please you with this. God was not pleased by it. And so Cain did not respond in humility and repentance and say, oh, I will bring the correct offering. I will bring it with the proper heart. Instead, he got what? He got angry, and we do this continually. God, I did this for you. I did this for you. I live this for you. My life is like this. I, I, I go to church. I read my Bible. I do all these things. Why haven't you done what I want? Why haven't you given me what I desire? And we get angry, just as Cain did. He wanted, as it were, the regard of God for doing things that displeased God. And he could not have it, so he got angry and his countenance fell. Now, you've seen the countenance fall, haven't you? If you have children, you see someone get angry, instantly. I've got four children. They all get angry in different ways. And I can tell by their face. I can also tell by the way they walk down the hall. I have one that stomps down the hall when they're angry. I have one that shuffles down the hall when they're angry. Right? You can just tell, and you can hear him. Stop. I can't even see him. Stop being angry. Come back here. You need to eat your Just by the way they walk. Well, I guess we're like that. You think God doesn't know? When your countenance falls, he doesn't do what you want, or you don't get what you want, and we get angry. God knows instantly. He knew with Cain. He knows with you. Your spouse probably knows too. And they can say, oh, there, there's, there's the angry look. And we laugh a bit when we think about kids, but it's not so funny when it's someone that can harm us, either with their words or with their actions. So Cain's countenance fell, and you know what happened. Abel did what was right. Cain hated that. He hated God because God didn't look to him and give him the regard that he wanted. And he hated Abel, it says in 1 John, because Abel's deeds were righteous and his were sinful. And so he hated the one who was doing what was righteous, and so he did what? He killed him. Anger flows out into murder. And by the way, he couldn't kill him right away. He just needed an opportunity. He needed to fester a little bit. And then he had the opportunity. since they were alone in the field. And he undertakes the opportunity. Well, consider Joseph's brothers, Genesis 37, 4. His brothers saw that their father loved him, that's Joseph, more than all his brothers. So they hated him. And you can, you can hear the brothers. Look, he, he's, he's being favored by our dad. That's wrong. He gets the coat, we get nothing. He tattles on us. Right? We, get, we, out, we watch the sheep, he gets to come out and, and then go home and, and bring a bad report. It's dad's fault. Dad shouldn't be doing this. So we hate our brother because dad is favoring him. There's no excuse. Jacob made it easy. He set Joseph up to be hated. There's no doubt about that. But the brothers chose to hate. It is on them. Now, notice, they didn't kill him right away. They hated him. Now, he told them about his dreams. Good job, Joseph. He comes and says, hey, you're all going to bow down to me. Now, the Bible doesn't say he was prideful in that, and those, they came true. All that was real, but it didn't help any. So the brothers hated him even more. But you, 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 can, you can feel in the, in the narrative in Genesis when Joseph comes, you can't find him. They're way far away from dad. And he shows up, and it's almost like you, you can feel the tension in the narrative where the brothers are looking around going, there's nobody here. We've hated him all along. 
Now the, the fruit of our anger can come to bear. No one will see. We can fake dad out. Now we can kill him because that's how anger works. We don't kill because we don't have the opportunity. It hasn't festered long enough. We've got lots of laws that kind of keep us constrained. But the nature of anger is murder. And Joseph's brothers did what? They would have killed him. That was the plan. The Lord is gracious, had, had a better plan, and he just got sold into slavery. That's much better. Well, we'll, we'll work from maybe lesser to the greater here. How about Haman? Esther 3.5. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. Why? Because he didn't get the glory that he wanted. That's all it was. Haman had everything. He had glory from everybody else. He was second in command, essentially. Or he was close to that. And Mordecai, one guy, sitting in the gate, doesn't bow down, and he's filled with rage. You guys, this is who we are. We don't get what we want. We don't get the glory we deserve. We're filled with rage. Only Haman had a lot more power than Joseph's brothers. Haman had a lot more power than Cain. And so he says, I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. I'm just going to express my anger in the murder of one man. I'm going to kill all his people. That's anger equals murder. Given the right time and the right place and the right power, we would do the same, and Haman does without thinking. I mean, essentially, I didn't, it doesn't take him long to contemplate, wow, what a heinous act I'm doing. Kill them all, because they have displeased me. Because that's the nature of anger. It's the nature of murder. But we haven't even gotten to the greatest murderer yet, have we? His name is Satan. So let's track that down a bit. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. What is Satan mad at? If murder and anger go together and they always do hand in hand, what's, what's Satan angry about? That he does not receive the glory that he wants. That he has been denied the glory that he thinks he so richly deserves. And so he seeks to kill every other member of the human race to, to steal glory from the one who will not give it to him. That's the true nature of anger unmasked. And all of our anger does not go to that degree. We don't contemplate it in, in, at quite that level. But that's the root of it. That's the seed of it. I didn't get what I want. I'm not getting the glory that I deserve. I deserve this. I didn't get it. I'm angry. From the smallest kinds of things, someone cuts us off when we're driving. So someone won't go fast enough, and so they stop at the stop sign and, and keep us from getting to our destination. And anger flares. Why? Because we're not getting what we want. We want to get there faster. We, we need to be pleased by doing this or that. And it goes all the way up to, to greater and greater degrees of the exercise of that anger. But it's all anger. And please hear me as well. It, it isn't that anger and murder are the same they don't have the same consequences. It is better to be angry and hard, as it were, consequentially than it is to kill somebody. So you can't say, well, I was angry and hard, so I might as well kill him. That's not what we're saying. It's like, it'd be like doing that with adultery. Adultery in your heart is still adultery, but well, you know, I committed it in my heart, so I might as well. No, the physical act carries with it certain penalties and has certain consequences that are horrendous on a physical plane. We just need to understand that spiritually, the root is the same. The judgment from God comes in the same way as we'll, we'll see as, as I get there. <laughs> As we get into the, to, to verse 22, the judgment from God is the same. But it is always better to be working it from external to internal. It's not like, well, I just might as well sin everywhere because I'm in. No, keep working it back. Don't kill people. Move it back so your anger is only internal. And then you start dealing with it there, right? So please hear me saying that. It isn't like, well, just express it, whatever, because, you know, you sinned. Now, holiness is important and, and gradations of anger are important. It's just that fundamentally at its root, it all expresses the same thing. And we need to kill it at every level. 
even to the levels we will see of simply insulting someone else because that's where Jesus goes. So let's try to get there. Anger, he says, equals guilt in a court of law. So back in our text, in verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Now, essentially, first, he moves it internal. He says, you think it's just murder, external murder. No, it's not just that. If you're angry in your heart, but here's the same penalty. You're guilty at any human court. The idea is it, it carries the same weightiness on a human level. You wouldn't think that because, well, if there's external murder, well, that's weighty. No, your anger should carry the same level. Now, in our courts, we can't do that. You can't put people in prison. You're, you were mad. They have to have some kind of external physical manifestation of it. But what Jesus is saying is, look, the, the penalty at that level, yeah, it's, there's still a penalty there as well. You're guilty, even if the, whole, the only level was human court. But that isn't the only level. And see, that's where the Pharisees got it so wrong. Not only the issue of it moving internal, but also the issue of who is violated, of who actually brings the penalty. Where's the weightiness when it comes to this idea of sin is internal? Who's going to bring the penalty? Because it's almost like, well, the external court can't get me for that, even though I might be guilty. Notice he moves on to the next one. It says anger equals guilt before the highest human court. So he says, if you're angry, you're guilty before the court. If uh, whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Now, the word good for nothing there is just, it's, it's raka or numbskull, fool, empty head. And I don't think the implication here is just insulting someone else, right? Although that's James 3, 9 says, with it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. We shouldn't do that. But almost always, a curse or an insult comes from what? Anger. We are angry. And so, really, I believe what Jesus is speaking to is the expression of anger through our tongues. And see, James 3 rats us out in that, right? When we speak externally, what is it tied to? Our heart it says, your tongue is tied to hell. That is the sinful nature that remains, which puts people in hell if it's not redeemed. That's what happens. That's where your tongue actually is, is in its sinful expression flows out of, and that's where your anger is coming from. Right? So whoever says to his brother, good for nothing, the, ex the verbal expression of his anger so shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Now, again, is he saying, well, this is a worse sin? No, he's just moving up in terms of the consequence. Yeah, human court would convict you just for anger. You express that anger, and well, you know, you'd be guilty before the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. Yes, that's how bad anger is. The expression of it here given, you good for nothing. But in Colossians 3, we see that, that all these sins, the sins of the tongue, are linked directly with the anger of the heart. Jesus says, or Paul says, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. He's speaking of immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. And then he says this, in them you also once walked when you were living in them. You see, these things bring the wrath of God. He says, but now you also put them all aside. That is, making a tie directly from the impurity, the lust, and the greed to these sins, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. That's what he's talking about. You have anger in your heart, so what happens? It comes out in abusive speech. And it isn't like the abusive speech is worse than the anger in your heart. Somebody's saying any kind of anger, right? Not just the external murder, but anger in your heart would cause you to be guilty before a human court. It's that bad. Hey, if you take it all the way to the land, let, let's appeal. Let's say, wait a minute, I don't think anger's that bad. All right, so maybe humans or, or the lowest level court might convict me, but, but I've got an out. My parents did this to me. And my, my spouse is really hard to live with. I've been physically abused. I have the right to anger. I'm going to the Supreme Court with this one. You can't say that's wrong. We're going all the way to the top. So we take it from Blunt County, and the, and the guy sitting around, they say, you're guilty. Go, oh, I'm not taking that. This is too hard, too difficult. I don't deserve 
for anger to be called murder. We're going all the way to the top. And let's say the eight, is it eight? Nine, how many justices do we have? I don't even know. We've got justices. And see, I'm great at, at law. And they actually take the case instead of not taking it and thereby making a statement and creating law anyway, but we won't talk about that. But they, they actually take the case, and what happens? You come back guilty because that's the nature of anger. Jesus says you, you can't escape it by appealing to a higher court. Sorry, Pharisees, you're not going to be able to get out of this one. Basic human court will convict you, take you to the highest level of the land. Really, the word there is Sanhedrin. Interesting. That's the court they sat on. Your own court will convict you for this. The 70, as it were, the highest court in Israel, in Jerusalem, they convict you. Well, that's, that's the nature of the penalty. Oh, but there's one more place to appeal. So let's, let's take it to God. God, it, that's not right. I don't deserve to be condemned for this. My anger isn't equal to murder. I have a right. I have a right to be angry. We sound a lot like whom? Jonah. God asked him, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Does he sit out here outside this city and I'm about to pardon these people? I have right. Because unfortunately, every time you exercise your anger, that's what you're saying. I have a right. Well, what happens when you appeal to the highest court in the land? Well, you got guilty. You were guilty. How about the highest court of all? Let's appeal to God about this. What does he say? Look down in your text. Whoever's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Anger gets you there. And whoever says, you fool, right, again, well, it's not a worse sin. It's just, again, an expression of the anger that you have towards someone. Whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Bad move. Bad move to appeal to the next highest authority. Because instead of any kind of human consequence, this is an eternal punishment everlasting in hell for your anger against a brother. Don't try to appeal there. Don't try to say it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. I couldn't help it. Anger condemns you to hell. The smallest bit as well as the greatest bit. The unexpressed anger as well as the expressed. You empty head or you fool, it doesn't matter. All and any anger will and does condemn the unrepentant sinner to eternal hell. That's Jesus' point, and you need a greater righteousness than that. It's not simply external. It is what goes on in our hearts. Now, my dad didn't get mad very often. When he did, he was, he was a stuffer. He put it all down in. When he did, I remember it. And I don't remember a lot of times. And in fact, the, the one I remember probably most clearly was not directed towards me. It was directed towards my brother. It was when I was about 10 years old. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I was getting into, we were getting into, into our truck. My dad had gotten a, it was a used truck, but it, it was fairly new. And my brother had gotten in and he'd spilled something on, on the seat. And I, I remember the words and they, they were directed with force. You stupid idiot. Now again, it wasn't even directed at me, but I could feel the force of those words. It almost took me back out of the van. Because words like that express what? The anger of the heart. Now, now hear me. My dad was gracious generally. Some of you have seen and felt that kind of anger when you've been harmed and hit and beaten and actually ejected from the van. I know that. So I'm not appealing to the nature of my upbringing. I'm simply saying even the words, the force of the words, I remember to this day. The anger was palpable. And that's how our anger affects others. It doesn't always come quite that strongly. It's not always said with quite that amount of force, but that's what anger does. That's the heart of murder. That's the intent that is there. And it condemns us. It would condemn us apart from the grace of Christ to eternal hell. The word here used is Gehenna. Jesus often uses this word, and it really is, is reference to the, the Valley of Himnon, which is right outside Jerusalem where they would burn the trash, and it was constant burning. 
That was the idea. And if you, if you want to reference, if you want to go back to a sermon on the realities of hell, I'm not going to spend time to do that this morning, go back to our series on James and what true repentance is. And I spent some time discussing the fact that hell is a real place, that it's an eternal place, that it's a place of eternal suffering, not some kind of annihilation where we're just done, but where we actually burn and suffer forever and ever. Just for anger? Yes, if that were all. It isn't, clearly. As we will see, each of these will strike us at the heart, and we will see that we commit all of the sins that Jesus is going to reference, and we commit them all internally, whether we've ever committed an external act. But that alone would be enough. You see, I'm not the hellfire and brimstone preacher. Jesus is. And he goes on to say, and he, he mentions hell about four more times in this sermon itself. He says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, that is God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Is it a good motivation to turn to Christ because we fear eternal punishment? Yes. Is it the only motivation? No. Is it a bad motivation? Absolutely not. Fear him who can throw the body into hell. And why would he do so? Because you were mad. Because you sought to steal his glory in your anger. And he will have no one in heaven who falls short of his glory. Do you begin to see it? That's what anger is. And that's what Jesus is revealing, the nature of our hearts. And the Pharisees didn't get it. Only those who have had their hearts transformed can begin to actually seek to be righteous in this way, overcoming their anger, refusing to excuse it. I say, well, I didn't do that externally. My parents did it. My society did it. It was everyone else's fault, but not mine. No, we begin to take hold of the nature of this truth and we begin to change. Now, as we consider what it means to, to, to overcome our anger, a couple, a couple of thoughts here. We're not going to move on to the next section because we'll, we'll spend the, the rest of our time next week really delving into what, what anger really is, how we unearth it, and how we work our way out of it because it is a tremendous problem. And it's just isn't simply that I can, you know, in our particular congregation, it's a problem. It's a problem everywhere. And it's rampant. And you probably, again, there's probably very few of you didn't even live through Thanksgiving without experiencing it. And yet it's, a, it's one of our sins that we kind of coddle and so one of our sins that we excuse, and it's destroying families, it's destroying the church because we will refuse to deal with it. So here's, here's the questions that I have for you. As you consider the nature of your own anger, where have you externalized your sin? Where have you said either, that's not a sin because I didn't do that thing. So you've compared your anger with someone else's. I didn't hit someone. I didn't yell. I didn't scream at them. So it doesn't count. It counts. It's still anger. You're still guilty before holy God, and it has still harmed someone else. Any form of anger. Yes, I understand they have different consequences, but any form of anger is harmful. Where have you externalized yours? Not as bad as Joe. Maybe you've externalized it in light of your spouse's anger against you. Well, they get more angry at me than I do at them, so I'm justified in mine. Remember one time I was, I was telling my wife how angry she was. She had been angry in a particular situation, and I was telling her, I can't believe you were angry like that, and I was angry. So I'm, I'm going after about, about the sin because I'm just incensed that she would be angry. So I can't believe you're angry, angry like this and angry like this. She goes, oh, like you're being now? Oh. See, what had I done? I'd excused my anger because I thought hers was worse. I would guess that I'm not alone. I would guess that we do that and that you do that. It's deadly. And certainly won't help someone else with their wrestles with anger, will it? 
because your anger only causes harm. So where have you externalized it? Where have you said, it's only bad if I do this or I don't do this? Where have you externalized it in such a way that you are blaming it on someone else? They did this to me. They said these words to me. They took this from me. My children haven't responded to me like this. Track that back to whom? That will always go back to God because God is in control of all sovereign. He's sovereign over all circumstance. So you're angry. You might say, well, it's the individual. It's the circumstance. That's why I'm angry. It isn't. It's because you didn't get something you wanted. You're angry because you chose. But then what we do is we take that and we, we essentially put that back on God. God, you ordained the circumstance. You're the one in charge. And I'm ultimately angry at you. Oh, you probably don't say that. But that's who you're angry against. And where will you get? You're going to appeal to that court, as we've already said. Where will you get when you appeal to the court of God? You made me angry. Well, apart from him, you would get eternal hell. Because he never made you angry. And by the way, God is never guilty of any lack of provision for us. He's never guilty, as I said at the beginning, of ever giving us less than everything we need, ever. So you, you can't ever lay that accusation. Other people, you could essentially lay it at their feet, and it might be correct. It doesn't give you excuse to be angry, but not God. And therefore, everything that he gives to you is right and good. So where have you externalized your sin by saying, it's not bad because I don't do this or someone else did it? Where have you externalized your anger by saying, they made me do it, my circumstances, I had a bad upbringing, I, I lost my job? Because those things are hard we may not be angry over them because God is providing for us in the midst of this. And then will you choose this week in whatever expression of anger you have? Yes, again, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but it would be if, because we have a group this size and certainly in our congregation as a whole, I would say that there's probably some of you who verbalize your anger in excessive ways, harming others. In fact, at one point, another say there's probably a lot of you. I would say there's probably some here who externalize their anger in, in, in physical acts, punching walls, slamming things, throwing things. I'd be a fool to think that that probably didn't happen in our congregation. I would say that all of us, every one of us, struggles with what we call the, the frustration anger. I just don't like what you did, and I'm mad at you for it. To the yelling anger at our children. Oh, I don't know what level it is for you. And maybe yours is all those levels at a particular time. And maybe you've been trying to work it down, and that's good. You've recognized the external edges of this, but you refuse to go to the core of it when you, when you lash out at, at someone who drives wrongly. You haven't dealt with your issue. Again, I'm not saying this is bad as harming your wife. I'm saying that it relates to the same issue. And you need to deal with it. Some, some have worked their anger, and many times all the way down these kind of low-level things, and they're not even believers. They've got incredible self-control. But they're still angry all the time. Everything sets them off at one level or another. Guys, where are you? And will you see that every expression of anger, whether it's in the heart or you fool or you empty head, that it is deserving of eternal hell and that Jesus died for it. And will you confess it? Or will you see through it that you are not really a believer? That's why we labored so hard on justification and sanctification. See, these sermons will crush you if you're a believer who doesn't recognize that you're not having to earn the righteousness of Christ by ceasing your anger. You're growing in sanctification so that you might please and honor him. You're not earning your salvation because you're going to look and say, I'm too angry. That'll never work. I don't know what to do. No, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. That's why we labor so long. But I tell you this, your anger is heinous, horrible, evil, and harmful. And you need to see it that way. But for some of you, you've not taken hold of the righteousness of Christ. And so your anger literally is killing you and will result in your eternal punishment. Either way, well, we commit as a congregation to, to understand the, the, the truth of the nature that anger equals murder in its seed and root 
and might we root it out in our lives and as a congregation as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, that you unmask the realities of our hearts so that we might actually bring these sins before you and that we might grow in the sanctification without which we will not see you. Lord, I thank you that you enable us by your grace to begin to understand the nature of sin so that our righteousness is not as the scribes and Pharisees who never recognized their sin at all. But as we internalize it, Lord, help us to take hold of your strength and power to be conformed to your image so that our anger will be turned to love. That any place where there is unrighteousness and injustice that we would deal with that in a godly and, and just and truthful way rather than our expressions of sinful anger. And Lord, as we do that, that our lives would change. Our families would change. Our church would be transformed. And the world would see that you change lives, that there is a righteousness which can be lived out, which flows from the inside and works its way out through our, our words and actions that is a reflection of your grace and your truth and your character. Father, make us, help us to be this kind of church so that you would be honored and pleased. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. <music>